page 62. Say shalom, Bimroma. Who ya say shalom? Aleinu fiyal kohu Israel. Veimru imru amen. Say shalom, Bimroma. a word about the end of that text you might not you might wonder what is this val kol tevel so we say peace for israel for yisrael val kol everybody who's sitting al tevel on the planet earth al tevel shalom Thank you to Cantor Addy and our beautiful musicians who uplift us each Shabbat that we're together. If you need more uplifting, we're going to be, of course, studying Torah tomorrow morning at 9.15, and then we'll be having a Torah service at 10.30. If you have nothing else to do, come back and join us here. This week, an extraordinary film premiered at the San Francisco Jewish Film Festival. It's the sequel to Vice President Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth, which won the Academy Award for Best Documentary in 2007. The film is titled Inconvenient Sequel, Truth to Power. I, I think truly it was the first time I had seen a documentary sequel in my life. It was uh, directed and produced by our own congregants and documentary filmmakers extraordinaire, Bonnie Cohn and John Shank, and 
I love the, f the fact that when John welcomed everybody to the Castro Theater, he said, thank you for joining us, inconvenient Jews. It was kind of the only laugh that happened during the film. For those of you unfamiliar with the first movie, it was Vice President Gore's attempt to focus and move the American people to action based on the plight of our planet and the impact that global warming and climate change had already caused. A decade later, I found the sequel to be more stark, more shocking, more beautiful, and more hopeful. The film opens with expansive and incredible footage from a helicopter of the glaciers in Greenland literally exploding into the air and follows Vice President Gore's team onto the face of the glaciers as they encounter raging rivers that are flowing on top of, inside, and underneath the great receding and diminished ice. The beginning of the film shocked me in a way and felt surreal because 48 hours before, I was walking for over three hours to reach the edge of the Mendenhall Glacier in Juneau, Alaska. The beginning of the trail marks where the glacier reached in 1911. It's receded three and a half miles since then. We reached the edge of the ice after hiking and walked into the ice caves that are exposed underneath the glacier on top of the ground. It was like being in a frozen, underwater, bright blue cave. Water was dripping everywhere from the ice. Boulders and rocks sat suspended above us, ready to fall as we made our way through. A deep hole appeared and water, an internal waterfall was gushing into the ground. And then we were out in the open air again. It was thrilling and at the same time felt heartbreaking. I felt the power of that ice and I simultaneously realized my own grandchildren will never see or touch a glacier. We'll never see or touch a glacier. Today, 10% of, of our land area is covered with glacial ice, including glaciers, ice caps, and the ice sheets of Greenland and Antarctica. Glacierized areas cover 15 square kilometers, 5.8 square miles, and glaciers store about 75% of the entire world's fresh water. During the maximum point of the last ice age, glaciers covered about 32% of the total land area, and if all that land ice melted, if it does, the sea level will rise 230 feet worldwide. We, we would be underwater right now. This trip to Mendenhall Glacier was at the end of two weeks living in a simple yurt on the edge of the Chilkat River. For the past three summers, I have made the trek from San Francisco to a tiny town in Alaska called Haines, where my dear friends live in a community of people who live close to the land and completely depend on it. Some of you might remember a drash I gave about five years ago on Rosh Hashanah about the creation of the world where my friend in Haines, Rob Goldberg, who is kind of a quasi-canter, lumberjack, luthier, fisherman, and artist, uh, he serves as the community's uh, canter during their Seder and, and Jewish holidays because there is a small group of Jews living in Haines, Alaska. They call themselves the Frozen Chosen. He and I went out on his tiny boat. We rowed out and we pulled in the crabs and the shrimp that he uses. We pulled in the salmon for subsistence net fishing. And he tempted me to eat the crab and the shrimp. He guaranteed me that they were the most kosher crabs and shrimp on the planet. <laughs> he happened to be right because kashrut, keeping kosher at its essence, is about purity and clean food. And the water on the Chilkat Peninsula is perhaps the cleanest water in the world but it's not cold enough anymore. 
Over time, the melting glaciers are resulting in warmer waters, changing the spawning and timing and number of fish, which definitely impact the number of bald eagles, which congregate there, and then the bear and the moose and the people. I can't imagine any of my friends in Haines, although they can fly 25 minutes to the nearest Costco in Juneau, I cannot imagine being able to sustain their lives if subsistence net fishing dies out. I think it would kill them, first their souls and then their bodies. When I saw the movie An Inconvenient Sequel, it called to me as a rabbi and as a Jew. And I have here another 10 pages of Jewish environmental laws and links, which I'm not going to read to you, I promise, but I wanted to touch upon how simple, how essential, and how elemental it is to be called as Jews to make sure that even if our children and grandchildren can't touch glaciers or see them, they'll at least have water to drink and they won't be living underwater. First of all, God created the universe. It's not an anthropo anthroposophic, it's not an anthropological or an anthro-centered religion. It's a theocentered religion, meaning we're not in control, God is. And whether you believe in God or not, even atheists understand we have little control over, over what happens, but we can be partners with God. Human beings must realize that we don't have unrestricted freedom to misuse creation because it doesn't really belong to us. It's almost like we are partners or renters. If you own your own house, you know what I mean. You can go to City Hall, you can get a little map of your house and your backyard, and in San Francisco it's about that big on the map, uh, but you realize you're gonna sell it to somebody else or you're not gonna be here at some point and somebody else is gonna own it, but it doesn't actually belong to the people who owned it before us or us or the people after us. It belongs to someone else. God's creation is also tov. Every time God does something at the end of each day, except for Tuesday where it says tov ma'od, very good, God says the creation is good. And it means that our creation is sufficient to sustain us. It's structured and it's ordered. The rabbis called it seder bereshit, the order of creation. And there's a sense that human beings are a part of that order. We're not in control of it. But there's that idea that we have to continue to partner with God because we're created in the image of God. How many people here are familiar with Martin Buber? Martin Buber wrote a beautiful book called I and Thou, and talks about the fact that we have choices as human beings to relate to anything in an I-it way or an I-thou way. If we treat the earth, we treat this planet as an it, we will use it up. If we treat the planet the way we treat someone that we love, if we stare at the earth the way that we would stare into the eyes of our beloved, of our child, it takes on a very different recognition. The Torah prohibits wasteful consumption of anything and says that we must not desecrate the land during war or in peace and that we can't despoil the animals either. The rabbis say, even those things you may regard as completely superfluous to creation, fleas, gnats, and flies, even they were included in creation and God's purpose is carried through everything, even through a snake, a scorpion, a gnat, a frog. So if you see any, any of those things on Shabbat, remember, they count too. Environmental justice, which is at the heart of the film and Inconvenience Sequel, is a Jewish value. And the Torah has law after law after law that call us to be environmental Jews, not inconvenient Jews. And finally, everyone here has heard the word that we overuse, tikkun olam, repairing the world. And so I want everybody to really make a commitment to think about the world in a local way. We talk often about 
thinking locally and acting globally or thinking globally and acting locally. We have to do both, think and act locally and globally. And I'll tell you that one of the things that was shared with me when I was in Alaska that um, was shocking to me but not shocking to the Alaskans was that on April, um, in April of this year, President Trump signed HJ Resolution 69 um, which was a joint U.S. House and Senate resolution which nullified Obama's regulations banning the use of predator control hunting methods on the 76.8 million acres of federally protected national preserves across Alaska. And I had no idea what that meant, so I asked the Alaskan. Um, and basically, after years of disputes between the U.S. government and the state of Alaska, um, it is now legal to bear bait, hunt via aircraft. You've seen people um, chasing bear, moose, wolves in helicopters and small planes um, and shooting them, killing hibernating bears, and denning, which is killing wolves, coyotes, bears, and their offspring while they're sleeping in their dens um, on or near federally protected <laughs> lands. Um, the Humane Society of the United States condemned the bill and they said it ought to shock the conscience of every animal lover in America. It should just shock our conscience. That's why I opened tonight and said I felt a little bit of insanity all week, um, coming back from a place that was so unbelievably pure, unspoiled, and full of natural beauty. Finally, I have to say as your rabbi, uh, I told you that this film felt hopeful to me. How could it feel hopeful? Well, I met Al Gore at the reception, Vice President Al Gore at the reception, and I felt like I was in the presence of a prophet. Somebody who could have, should have been President of the United States, um, did not retreat from the call, the prophetic call, to serve our country and to serve humankind. And uh, we can't all be Vice President Al Gore, but we can all be mensches when it comes to the changes that we need to make for the future. So I encourage each and every one of you to see this film, it came out today, and get involved in the movement around it. Because every single person in the sanctuary is created in the image of God, and we are commanded to be stewards of this earth. This Shabbat, I encourage you as individuals and families, as a community, to figure out how you're going to take that responsibility seriously. That when you wake up tomorrow morning, you do something in nature for yourself, and then on Monday, you, I, I, I'm not saying it's, you know, it's, it's uh, just okay to give money. You can give money, but you have to give of yourself a little bit more to ensure that this earth is going to be safe. And there will come a day, this is the prophet in me, there will come a day, I promise you, when a young person in your life who is suffering because there is climate crisis in ways that we can scarcely imagine today, but you will know that person, it will probably be when we're all very, very old, and that young person will say, did you do anything at all? Did you lift a finger to prevent this disaster from happening? And I think each person in this room is going to want to have a pretty good answer. Shabbat shalom. Page 349. Hey, Lee, hey, Lee, 
Shall I be wrong? 